Uh, if you have a Bible with you, and I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, page 1171 in the Pew Bibles. And we're going to read from verse 16. Last week we reflected on the first 15 verses of this chapter. And we said that the Christian life is a life of freedom. It's a life of liberty. And then we we looked at how Paul advised us not to use our freedom. As well as how he advised us to use it. And here's his advice from verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters. Paul says, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, some of you were leaving last Sunday. You said this. You said that's easier said than done. Because, let's be honest, not indulging the sinful nature is really tough. Not doing what appears to come natural, like losing your head, or like being selfish, It's a real challenge. Whereas serving one another humbly in love seems at times so unnatural. It's far easier to serve yourself than to serve someone else. It's far easier to look after number one and forget everyone else. So how do we actually do this? How do we live this life of freedom? How do we avoid indulging the sinful nature? And how do we nurture a humble, loving, servant heart? Well, there is an answer. And the answer is here in what we're going to look at this morning. And the answer is this. It's by the Holy Spirit. And two weeks ago, we said that Paul's hope for each and every Christian, Paul's hope for all of us, Paul's hope for the Christians in Galatia. Paul's hope for everyone who would pick up his letter and take it seriously was this. That they would live a spirit-led life and have a Christ-centered existence. And two Sundays ago we reflected on a Christ-centered existence. But this morning we're going to look at the importance of and the shape of a spirit-led life. Because our experience and our enjoyment of true Christian freedom depends on the Holy Spirit. It is Christ who sets us free. Let's not make any mistake about that. Jesus liberates us. It's our faith in Christ alone, by faith alone, which sets us free. But without, and this was the bit that the Christians in Galatia were missing, Without the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our freedom becomes an elusive reality. We struggle to experience it. We struggle to enjoy it. We know about it. We read about it. We maybe even believe in it. But in terms of day-to-day life, we struggle. Plus, without the ongoing continuing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our freedom has this potential to dissolve and decline into license. We do just use our freedom to indulge our sinful nature. And in terms of Christian discipleship, in terms of growth, in terms of running the race that Paul talked about last week, that's disastrous. And so as we begin to explore these issues together, let's actually read the text. So as we usually do, let's stand 
for the public reading of God's word. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do or so that you are not to do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Please take a seat. Now, almost immediately as as you read those words right at the beginning of them anyway, you realize why this is all so much easier said than done. These words and this teaching explains the tension that I'll guarantee you every Christian here this morning feels. We are a conflict zone. Paul makes it clear that there is this internal battle raging within the life of every believer and those at war within this theater of conflict are the sinful nature and the spirit. And Paul says we possess both. It's what makes us unique, different. We possess both. They occupy the same territory. Problem is they don't get on. They want different things. They pull in different directions. They both have very different agendas. And therefore it's no wonder we struggle. I mean, as Christians, we we often know what we should do, don't we? I know what I should do so many times. How I should live. I know what is the right choice to make. I know what is the right attitude that I should reflect. I know what is the right plan of action I should adopt. But actually following it through is far easier said than done. And so Paul's phrase, or phrases, in Romans 7, makes so much sense to me. I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And I don't know if you can identify with that, but I can. Maybe it's only me that has this struggle. 
And here in Galatians 5, I discover why this is the case, why this is all so much easier said than done. Because at the end of verse 17, Paul does say that the spirit and the sinful nature are in conflict with each other. And he goes on to say, so that you do not do what you want. Thank you, Paul. That is why I don't do what I want to do. But the obvious question is this. Does that mean that we just accept this for the way it is? We sing, K, Sarah, Sarah, wherever we'll be, we'll be. And we just get on with it. Is, is that what we do? And even as we say that, we know that it can't be right. That can't be freedom. And so Paul does go on, or he does in this little section, he offers us help and hope and advice on how you actually live day to day with that tension. But before we turn to the recommended way forward, let me just look at the different directions, the different agendas, the very different things that each side that is in this battle, that is in this conflict, wants. And Paul starts with the sinful nature. And he lists the things that the sinful nature wants to come spilling out of our lives. And we just read them a moment ago, and they don't make pleasant reading. And I'm going to read the list again. I'm going to show you the list. Only this time I'm going to use Peterson's words from the message. Here's what the acts of the sinful nature lead to. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper, an impotence to love and to be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. And when you look down a list like that, none of it is appealing. None of it is attractive. And just in case you think, and I do love this, just in case you think, aha, Paul, you didn't mention this. Look at verse 21 where he says, and the like. It's as if to say, hey, do you know I could go on, but I think you get the idea. And the sinful nature wants to mess with our quality of life. It wants to reduce it. It wants to wreck it. And as you look down that list, you realize that any one of those, never mind all of them, will only ever lead to a less than full life, a less than free life. If the sinful nature has its way, if it takes ground, if it gains the upper hand in this conflict, you won't be free in your relationships. You won't be free in your relationships with each other, with God, or with yourself. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex never enhances a human relationship. Trinket gods and magic show religion, all they do is drive a wedge between the creator and the created. And uncontrollable addictions, to take one example, will create havoc in a life and in the lives of those around us. The sinful nature is anti-God. It's anti-good. It's anti-life. And therefore, it's no wonder that Paul says, listen, see if you live like this. And whenever Paul says whenever you live like this, what he means is whenever you do things like this on a regular, habitual basis, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You can't inherit the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, godliness, and self-control. 
And any of the above, any on that list, have no place in a kingdom like that. And so having described the acts of the sinful nature, what it is that it wants to spill out of our lives, and the reality is, as we look around us and as we look within at times, it spills out of so many people's lives. Paul then turns his attention to the fruit of the Spirit. And here, if you like, is what the opposing side in this conflict wants to come spilling out of our lives, and it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the contrast between that list and the previous list is striking. And I came across this recently that I think helpfully illustrates the difference between the two opposing factions. You see, the acts of the sinful nature are evil, the fruit of the Spirit's good. Acts of sinful nature are destructive, the fruit of the Spirit's productive. The acts of sinful nature are easy to ignite. As we all know, the fruit of the Spirit is difficult to ignite. Acts of the sinful nature are difficult to stifle. Fruit of the Spirit is easy to stifle. Acts of the sinful nature are self-centered. Fruit of the Spirit self-giving. Acts of the sinful nature are oppressive and possessive. Fruit of the Spirit is liberating and nurturing. Acts of the sinful nature are decadent. Fruit of the Spirit is uplifting. Acts of the sinful nature are sinful. Fruit of the Spirit holy. And the acts of the sinful nature are deadly. Whereas the fruit of the Spirit is life-giving. And so having described the reality of this battle within and having painted a picture of what each side wants, Paul then offers some really clear advice on how you deal with this conflict. Look at verse 16, where he started this little section. Paul writes, So I say, live by the Spirit. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. But notice the next phrase there. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, and and this I believe is really, really important, you will experience the desires of the sinful nature. But if you live by the Spirit, you will not indulge them. Do you know the want or the temptation to lose it with your kids? Still real. The want to hold a grudge. The want to voice off at someone else doesn't miraculously disappear. The craving to get wasted for some people, sometimes, is not totally eradicated. The lure of inappropriate behavior, that's not a foreign concept to us. The sinful nature is still active, still rages, still an issue. And I believe that anyone who says otherwise, in a sense, is in denial and is in loggerheads with this clear teaching from Galatians 5. But what Paul says is, if you live by the Spirit... You may experience those desires, but you will not indulge them. You will not gratify them. And that's what sets us apart, makes us different if you live by the Spirit. So obvious question is, what must we do to live by the Spirit? Two things here come across from the text. One, crucify the sinful nature. Two, keep in step or follow the Spirit's leading in every part of your life. Now, a key aspect 
of that first thing, to crucify the sinful nature, is in recognizing that this is something where we are involved, that we take action, that we crucify the sinful nature. That's a choice, it's a decision we take. And it picks up very much on the imagery that Jesus himself used. Whenever Jesus was inviting people to become his disciples, he said this, listen, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross and follow me. And Paul takes that word picture, if you like, to its logical conclusion. Because not only do you have to take up the cross, not only do you have to walk with it as you follow Jesus, but you need to actually see and ensure that the execution of your sinful nature takes place. We take that sinful nature, that wayward, that willful self, and metaphorically speaking, we nail it to the cross. And the idea of crucifying anything is brutal, but in terms of our dealing with the sinful nature, we have got to be ruthless and uncompromising in our rejection of it. And this, I believe, is is why so often I struggle, because I'm not ruthless and uncompromising in my rejection of the sinful nature. And what we find here, in a sense, is just this brilliant graphic description of repentance, of turning our backs on a particular way of life, and then living and embracing a wholly and totally different path and purpose. And Paul writes, and I know that some of you noticed this, Paul writes, listen, those who belong to Jesus, they have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. In other words, it is something that we did when we first, those of us who are Christians, we did when we first repented and gave our lives to Jesus. But Paul here is also making the point that we need to leave it there to die. This is, if you like, an attitude that we must renew on a constant basis, a day-to-day basis. Or in the language of Jesus, you've got to pick up your cross. As Luke records what Jesus said, you've got to pick up your cross daily. It's not something you do one-off. You pick up your cross on a daily basis. There is an ongoing aspect to this. And many of us here this morning, we have repented. But the challenge of Christian discipleship, of day-to-day Christian living, is to maintain our repentance. And that is why confession of sin is a crucial ongoing spiritual discipline. It's an absolute must in terms of the holy habits that we looked at relatively recently. And whenever confession disappears from our weekly or regular schedules, we risk giving our sinful nature far too much breathing space. And the danger is then we begin to indulge it. And so how important and how present is regular confession in my life? How important and how present is regular confession in my life? And whenever we read the Psalms, we discover that God never despises, and I love the way this is put, a broken and a contrite heart. And the real question for me is this. How do I actually experience a contrite heart? What, what does that look like? A grieving, broken, sorrowing, repentant heart. Well, for me, a key aspect of this is the need to consistently confess my sin, to come before a loving, gracious Father through Jesus and declare my sins 
without excuse, without extenuating circumstances. In the words of the old confessional rite, we say, you know, by my own fault, my own most grievous fault, I confess these sins and I specify them. And then as that goes on to say, and for all those I cannot remember. But do I do that with a broken and a contrite heart? And when was the last time my sin broke me? To live by the Spirit is to crucify the sinful nature. Something that I believe Paul says here we've got to do on an ongoing basis. And then secondly, keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit leads. The Spirit has been given to us as a guide, a guide into all truth. The Spirit leads. What Paul says here is, I urge you to follow. Keep in step. And again, there is a sense in which an act of choice is involved. Because Paul says, listen, since you live by the Spirit, you've got to keep in step with the Spirit. So that's an ongoing decision. It's an ongoing need. So in addition to being ruthless and constantly turning away from your sinful nature, you've also got to be equally disciplined in turning towards and following the Spirit's leading in every part of your life. And as we do that, what Paul says here is, as you do that, there's tangible evidence of the Spirit's fruit in your life. And notice that it's, it's fruit. It's not fruits. And I'm sure you've heard this before, and some of you may feel this seems like I'm just splitting hairs But you know, there is a very real danger in talking about the fruits of the Spirit as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says here, the fruit of the Spirit. See, I like apples, but I'm I'm not keen on oranges. And strawberries are okay, but gooseberries aren't my thing. And love's great, but patience isn't me. Joy is good, but I'm not big on self-control. Kindness is nice, but I'm not into peace. And that's the danger with this. Because you see, the fruit of the Spirit comes as a package. You can't just pick certain ones and discard the others. And therefore, I've always found it far more helpful to see this in terms of segments and not fruits. That it's nine segments of the one fruit. And as we all know, fruit doesn't grow overnight. But as we follow the Spirit's leading, when we keep in step with the Spirit... Each of these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, each of those should be growing gradually in our Christian lives. Otherwise, something's wrong. And a key dimension of, of the Spirit's role in our lives is to make us more like Jesus. We know that. That, if you like, is where the Spirit is leading us. Where is the Spirit leading us? He's leading us into Christ-likeness. And this fruit, these segments were exemplified in the life of Jesus. And therefore to keep in step with the Spirit is to allow the Spirit to produce those nine character traits of Jesus in your life and mine. So that actually we are becoming a crisper, clearer reflection of Jesus, conformed to his image, transformed into his likeness. That's what the Christian life is all about. Because remember what John writes in a verse I refer to time and time again in that little his first epistle. He says, those who claim to live in God, well, you've got to walk as Christ walked. And how do you determine that you're walking as Christ walked? Well, one core way 
is to ask, am I becoming more loving? Am I becoming more patient? Am I becoming more joyful, more peaceful, kinder? Yes, I lapse at times. That's because of this internal conflict. But as people trace my life, track my life, in terms of my Christian discipleship, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? And therefore showing evidence that I am living by the Spirit, that I am keeping in step with the Spirit. Because if I'm keeping in step with the Spirit, the fruit will be produced. And I will be crucifying the acts of the sinful nature. So if we're going to enjoy our freedom in Christ, if we're going to use it appropriately, then I believe we've got to live by the Spirit. This Spirit who will produce fruit, the Spirit who will make us more like Jesus, but he does require needs, in a sense, our cooperation. Because this internal tension, Paul says, it's never going to let up. It's not going to let up during this life. The conflict will continue to rage this side of the new heaven, the new earth. And so it's essential... It's essential that you make a daily choice to crucify the sinful nature, to consistently confess your sin, to repent, and secondly, to keep in step with the Spirit as He leads you in every part of your life. May God help us do that.